This morning I'm in Mark chapter 13 once again, and I will uh, conclude the series on this chapter about preparing for the coming of the Lord, preparing for the end of the world. I remind you that Jesus is instructing his disciples uh, prior to his death and resurrection. And uh, he is telling them even before he dies and rises again that uh, he's coming again. He's coming in power and glory. Uh, they have only seen him in his humiliation, in his incarnation. Uh, John, James, and Peter caught a glimpse of him and his glory at the transfiguration. But the disciples have not seen the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But he assures them that he is coming back the next time in power and in glory. He tells them that some things will happen before he comes. He predicted the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem and the disciples had two questions. Uh, what are the signs of this end that you're talking about? And uh, when will it happen? When, as uh, Matthew records it, when will the glorious coming take place? And uh, Jesus takes some time to answer those questions. Before he gets to the questions they asked, he first talks about signs that will be present throughout the entire age. He talks about nation rising against nation, wars taking place, famines taking place, persecution taking, taking place. And then he talks about a particular sign that the end has arrived, and that is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Those are the texts that we've looked at up to this point in Mark chapter 13. This morning, we're, we're in Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 28. And in verse 28, he returns to those original questions. Are there definitive signs of the end? And when will it take place? The first question is answered in verses 28 through 31. From the fig tree, Learn its lesson as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves. You know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Are there signs of the end of the world? And Jesus, though he gives indications, his main point is just believe my word. Regardless of what you see or how you try to interpret what you see, believe my words because heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen. The second question was, what was, when will the final end come? 
And Jesus' answer to that is simply, no one knows. I don't even know as I speak in my humiliation and incarnation. I don't even know that at this point. Listen to our text in verses 32 to 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each which with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Our text is simple, but clear and powerful this morning. Jesus calls his disciples to faith and to watchfulness. Believe my words and stay awake is what Jesus calls us to. The signs of the end have been given and they are always in evidence. Believe my words. As Steve pointed out in the beginning message, there are many preachers today who are talking about COVID-19 being a specific sign that this is the end of the world. Many will say that COVID-19 is one of the specific seal judgments that Jesus opens in Revelation 6 through 8. And it's the opening of this seal, the presence of COVID-19, that indicates that we have entered the time of great tribulation and Jesus' coming is right around the corner. That is what they say. But when Jesus answers the question, are there particular signs of the end of the world? He says, as we've said before, yes and no. Yes, there's the destruction of Jerusalem. That's a very definitive sign and that took place. And yes, there are ongoing signs throughout the age of the church. As I mentioned, nation against nation, wars and rumors of wars and, and uh, persecution and famine and all types of evidences in this world that we're still living in a broken world and a fallen world. These will always be present and every time you see the evidence of a broken world, you know that Jesus Christ is coming and may be coming soon. He said, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So when you see these things happening, you need to understand that Jesus is at the gate, he's at the door, he's ready to enter human history again, 
Be ready for that. As you know, the fig tree is one of what we call a deciduous tree. You know, like an oak tree. It loses its leaves in the fall and winter. And we all love, I love driving up 476 north uh, in the spring. And I see those barren trees beginning to blossom. And now when I ride down the turnpike, it is lush green, all types of shades of green. Jesus says when that fig tree, which has lost its leaves during the winter, when it begins to bud, you know that summer is near. You can't say exactly when summer will come or when exactly uh, figs will, will, will appear on that tree, but you know it's coming. And he says, when you see these signs of the end of the age, when you see the persecution and the war and the brokenness of this world, and when you see Jerusalem fall and, and the temple destroyed and the walls broken, you need to know that, that I am standing at the gate. I am ready to come back. Of course, we know that Jesus spoke these words before they actually happened. And as I've said before, most of the disciples lived to see the destruction of Jerusalem. And I suspect that they were anticipating when that happened, that Jesus was going to come immediately. But he didn't come. It's been 2,000 years. He still hasn't come. The wars and rumors of wars and nation against nation and famine and persecutions, they still go on throughout history, all throughout the world at different times. I don't believe there's ever been a time when the world has been a perfect place to live in. And there never will be. Every experience we have in life of the brokenness of this world is a reminder that we need Jesus to come back. That we won't bring in the kingdom. We won't bring in utopia. There is no government. There is no politic. There is no human being that has the power or wisdom to bring about the world that our hearts cry out for. Every sickness, every death, every alarming news, every murder, every crime is a reminder that we are living in a broken world, that these are the signs that are telling us that we need Jesus to come back and fix what is broken. And so when the temple fell and Jesus did not come, what did the disciples have to hold on to? They would have said, the signs are here. Now where is Jesus? But Jesus told them, heaven and earth may pass away. This generation will live to see these kinds of signs taking place. 
And they did, as I said, most of them lived to see the destruction of the temple and experience the persecution and the brokenness of the world. But Jesus didn't come. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't depend on the signs. Though they're there, you can't always interpret them in a way that says, this is the definitive end. Just hold on to my word. I'm coming. I am coming again. So the first message that Jesus leaves us with in this text is that we must hold on to, we must believe his words that his glorious and powerful coming will take place in his time. He is at the gates. Or as James says, he's standing on the threshold. You know that strip when you open the door. His feet are on the threshold. He's ready to enter human history. And it may be, it could be, even today. Matter of fact, if it happens while we're on our way up to the Catskills, you may see a number of motorcycles without passengers going up the highway as we meet Jesus in the air. What a glorious day that will be. He's coming. Believe his words. But secondly, he's coming. Stay awake. Again, the disciples had asked, when will these things be accomplished? What is the end? What is the terminus of all of this devastation and destruction? When will this broken world be fixed? And Jesus answers concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, the eternal Son of God, who took on human flesh, who laid aside the exercise of his divine attributes, who laid aside those attributes so that as a human being, as a perfect man, he can say, I don't know. Of course, in his resurrection and his glorification, he knows when he's coming back. But no one knows, only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. I find it interesting that instead of Jesus answering their question, I mean, he does answer it in some sense. Nobody knows, so you can't know. But instead of really answering the question, the point that he wants to make is not that you should know the time, but how should you live? Until that time. See, we, we want to figure out the coming of Christ. 
I think some would say, man, if I knew he's coming tomorrow, I'd clean up my life today. But Jesus says, you don't know when I'm coming, but clean up your life anyway. Man, if I knew he was coming, my, my plans for the future would change if I knew he's coming tomorrow. Jesus would say, you don't know when I'm coming. Always plan as if you're going to meet the glorious Son of God. For believers, there are only two options we have. We live with watchfulness. That is, we live with an expectation that Jesus is coming back. Or we fall asleep. We live in a world of illusion or delusion. A world of fantasy. And many of us, unfortunately, prefer the dream world to the real world. I must admit, I like some of my dreams. I hate some of them, but I like some of them. I like the dreams where I'm on a basketball court, and I get the ball, and I'm at the foul line, and with this amazing agility and ability, I leap. And without ever touching the ground, I leap high enough to dunk that ball from the foul line. And I do that. I don't know how many dreams have repeated that scenario. For those of you that believe that dreams are prophetic, I doubt that it's ever going to happen. <laughs> but I like that. But I realize it's, it's a fantasy. It's not the real world, because the real world is... At 69, I can't even jump as high as I could when I was 19. And my shots now are not really jump shots. They're just flat-footed shots. I can still get it in a basket, though. Sometimes. Jesus calls us to the world of reality. Not a world of fantasy. The world of watchfulness, not a world of sleeping. Because it's being watchful, it's living in light of the coming of Jesus Christ that keeps us from living in that virtual reality, that false world that the world we live in wants to create for us. The world we live in wants to tell us that, that everything you see and feel and smell and experience, this is the real world. This is eternal. This is what matters. And the Bible would say, now this world is passing away. Everything you feel and smell and touch and see and experience is passing away. This is not the real world. The real world is a world that is lived in conscious relationship with God and with expectancy of the coming of Jesus Christ. As you read through the New Testament, you become aware that the writers believed it was very possible that a Christian could live in a fantasy world, a world of virtual reality. Keep awake, Jesus says three times. Keep awake. Keep awake. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul put it this way. Come back to your senses and stop sinning. Come back to your senses. In Ephesians 5, he says, it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. If you're not a believer in Christ, then you're living in a world that it's not God's world. It's not God's kingdom. It's a world that ends and a kingdom that ends. It's a kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of light. Romans 13 puts it this way, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And that's a simple but profound thought that the completion of my salvation, 50 years after I have had trusted Christ in 1970 as my Lord and Savior, Paul would say the completion of that is 50 years closer than it was when you first believed. What if you woke up one morning and found out that the life you were living was only an illusion? It was a dream. That what you love, what you cherish, what you invest in, was only part of a dream. The vocation you've chosen, the 50 hours a week or more that you put in, was only a dream. The fun things that you experienced was only a dream. You thought you were a Christian, but that was only a dream. You discovered that the past 20 or 30 years of your life, you had been sleeping, you'd been imagining that you were, you had really entered the world of reality. You know, we live in a world now where virtual reality is possible in so many ways. You can experience something that appears to be real. But ultimately, it's not real. You're in your living room. You're really not on that gridiron playing football. You're really not going in and out of those streets and in and out of those houses killing bad guys. This is not reality. It's virtual. And yet people live in virtual realities all the time. Whether it's computer generated or whether it's just generated by one's imagination. I mean, you can Get a program where you can design a house. You can become the greatest interior designer on planet Earth. And you can build the house and design the house. But you've never even picked up a hammer. You don't even know what a drill bit looks like. Suppose your whole life was nothing more than a virtual reality. That you never experienced real life because you never were born again 
You never were made alive by the Spirit of God so that you could know the living God whom you were created to know. Some of you are old enough to remember the film film, uh, Matrix. Matrix takes you up to the year 2199. In Matrix, the world had been taken over by the Matrix, and it's being run by artificial intelligence. Humans are living in a computer-generated dream world, a world of virtual reality. Actually, humans are being harvested like plants to be part of the matrix, to feed the matrix. Humans live their lives in an artificial reality, never realizing that they are slaves of an evil system that has a false claim on the world and on their lives. You know, sometimes you can preach the gospel from films. Because they indicate spiritual realities. And I think in one way, that movie depicts the reality of so many people's lives. Because they don't know God, the God who created them, and created them so that they could enjoy Him forever. But they never know Him, so they're dead in their sin. Paul says they're blinded by Satan. They're captured by Satan. They're actually doing his will in this world. They're enslaved by an evil system that has a false claim on their life. When I look at that movie, I think, you know, it's a little creepy in some ways. And yet it depicts life for many. Because their matrix, whether it's the matrix of the internet that controls them or social media that controls them or television or something that's other than technological, their own minds, their imaginations, their desires, their lusts that create the world in which they live, but it's a world that leaves God out. It's a world that leaves Christ out. And if it's a world without God, then it's not the real world. And it doesn't last. So yes, it is possible that you and I can live in a world that we have actually created for ourselves. But it's actually not the real world. The world of God's love and God's purposes and God's will in our life. Jesus expects that if we are watchful, that being watchful will cause us to live every bit of our life with an eye to the return of Christ. So that the kind of husband I am, the kind of father I am, the kind of pastor I am, the kind of carpenter I am, the kind of worker I am in this world is all influenced by I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and He's coming back. This is what keeps us living in the real world. 
Because according to Jesus, the real world is a world in which you are aware that you are a servant. That's the word he uses. It's actually the strong word for servant. You are a bond slave. He puts his servants in charge. And he gives each one his work. This is the real world, a world in which we are aware that I have been purchased by the blood of Christ. I belong to Christ. I am a servant of Christ. All that I do, I do as a servant of Christ. Before I became a Christian in 1970, then the world I lived in was a world that revolved around me, not around Jesus. It was a world that was interested only in my own enjoyment, my own security, my own pleasure. I wanted nothing to do with God's world. I wanted my self-created world of idolatry. But Jesus is reminding us that the real world is not your world. It's a world in which Jesus is king and you are either his servant or you are a rebel against this king. It's a world, the real world is a world where everyone has been assigned a task by the master and he will give an account of that. Be watchful, he says. Stay awake. And by the way, by the way, watchfulness is not just sitting around waiting. Watchfulness is being on the job watchful. Being watchful isn't like many cultists have done in the past where they have calculated the coming of Christ and They've sold everything they, they, they've had and they've gone to some mountaintop and they have just sat and waited for Jesus to come. But that's not what our king calls us to do. He says, wait and watch and stay awake, but you're a servant. You have a task to do. Be busy while you're watching. In the real world, in God's world, people are gifted by God and assigned tasks by God and given work to do by God. They are busy loving others and caring for others and meeting the needs of others and bringing the good news of the gospel. They are generous. They are servants of God. The world of virtual reality is simply a world of self-gratification. Whereas the world of reality, God's world, is a world where we want to glorify God in everything we do, whether it's in word or deed, whether we eat or whether we drink, we do it to the glory of this God who is coming again. Jesus, is, Jesus reminds his servants that in God's real world, his servants are accountable. They will give an account. 
Paul reminds us that each of us will give an account of himself to God. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what we've done in our body, whether it's been good or bad. We are accountable. John puts it this way. And now, little children, abide in Christ so that when he appears, you may be confident and not be ashamed before him at his coming. In the parallel passage, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the story of the servants to whom he gives talents. And the one servant who was given a stewardship, he took it and he buried it. He did not use it. He did not work it. He did not multiply it. And when the time for accountability came, he thought he was being good, a good servant because he kept what God had given him. And the master takes what he has and gives it to others because he did not work. He did not use the gift that God had given to him. The real world is a world where we are assigned a work and we are accountable for that work. The world that's impacted by this deep personal relationship we have with Christ, this one whom we expect to return perhaps any moment, this one that we are looking for. I confess, it is obvious in my own life that I don't always love Jesus as much as I ought to. Because I'm not always mindful. I lose that discipline. I can't imagine a day in my life without multiple thoughts of my wife. When we're away from each other, I anticipate, and that anticipation grows as each day passes. And it's a rare thing that that doesn't happen. So I have to ask, what is it that, that steals our hearts from loving Jesus, from loving God, from anticipating the return of Jesus Christ? What is it? I think we all need to take time in our life when we evaluate ourselves spiritually. When we ask ourselves questions that evaluate what's going on in my heart. I need to ask myself these sorts of questions. Am I experiencing joy in knowing that in Christ I have everything my soul needs, both now and for eternity. Is that a reality? And sometimes I have to say, no, it's not. My joy is in something else and I've lost it and I've lost that joy. Forgive me, I repent. Do I look to him for daily Grace to sustain me in the difficulties of life. 
And sometimes I have to say no because I think I'm tough and I'm capable and I can do it on my own. Do I live with expectation and confidence knowing that Christ may return at any moment? And again, sometimes I have to say, God, forgive me. I'm so caught up with this world that I'm living in. Do I care about the eternal destiny of those whom God places on my path? Do I pray for them and love them and meet their needs and talk to them about Jesus because I believe that maybe today he's coming back? Do I spend time seeking God's will for my life, wanting to invest my life with eternity in view? And often I have to say, God, I'm an idolater. I don't live in these moments with the expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back. I live in a dream world, making this world the ultimate reality. Jesus goes on and says, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. And as I understand the text in this story, this sort of parable that Jesus is telling, you and I are both the servants, the bond slaves of Christ who have been assigned the task for which we are accountable. But we are also the doorkeepers. To the doorkeeper, he says, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or or the morning or when the rooster crows or at midnight. You're the doorkeeper. Now the doorkeeper's responsibility was at least twofold in the household. He was to welcome in those who were welcome in the household. And he was to keep out those who were a danger to the household. Of course, we do both in our Christian lives if we are awake. We listen and we watch. We choose and we decide with discernment. We recognize there are evil powers at work in this world that want to destroy, that want to uh, attack the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So we, we stay awake as doorkeepers. And then there are those that we need to pull in, whom God is working in their hearts, and they're hearing the gospel, and they're feeling the misery of their sin, and they're seeing that Jesus can forgive them, and we invite them to come in. But ultimately, the doorkeeper is waiting for the master. Waiting to welcome him. And Jesus says, I am coming. I'm at the gate. I'm ready to enter this world again.
I think it would be a great tragedy. No, I know it would be a great tragedy. That if Jesus were to come today, it would actually be an interruption to what we think is valuable in life. Rather than the greatest delight, the consummation of our salvation. It would be a tragedy were Jesus to burst into this world today without us waiting and watching for him. Paul put it this way, when Christ who is our life, shall appear. Then shall we also appear with him in glory. And I love the way he says it. When Christ, who is our life, not a life of virtual reality, not a life of fantasy, not a life of making too much of this world that's passing away. When Christ, who is our life, my joy, my peace, my love, my comfort, my forgiveness, my salvation, my life. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then we will we also appear with him in glory. One day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That is if you are a believer in Christ. And you will give an account Hopefully Jesus will say, you really lived. You lived in the real world of knowing me and honoring me and loving me. You really lived, enter into the joy of the Lord. Or will he say, John, the life you lived, it was only a dream. It was a virtual reality. It was a fantasy. It was a wasted life. You have salvation in Christ, free by his grace. But your investment for eternity, you did not watch and believe my word. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment this morning? Which world are you living in? A world in which knowing and enjoying God is the priority of your life? Knowing that one day this world will pass and you will live with him in eternity, forever. Well, this morning is your world a world that's just an illusion. It's passing away. And the end of that world is even more tragic. To face a life and eternity apart from God. What a tragedy. 
Jesus says, I'm coming. If you're not ready, then this morning, it just takes a moment to be ready. Tell God right where you sit in the quietness of your heart something like this. God, I know my own sin. And I know the misery of my sin. And I believe that Jesus Christ died to forgive that sin and rescue me from it. And this morning, I surrender to Jesus Christ. I believe that he is my Savior, and I surrender to him as my Lord. I want to be ready when Jesus comes. Father, help some in this moment to repent of their sin, of their self-created life apart from you, and to accept your free offer, your wonderful, gracious offer to forgive and to receive them into your eternal family if they but repent and believe. May some come to you today. And Father, for those of us that confess Jesus as Lord, forgive us for those moments and periods of forgetfulness and idolatry in our life. And help us to become ever more watchful as we wait for the glorious return of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and for whose glory we pray. Amen.